Hi everyone, it's Dave. Look, I promised my thoughts on Savage Worlds Adventure Edition. Here they are. I struggled to fit it into my usual 20 minutes and even at, even with it going a little bit longer, I'm not sure how useful some of these are. I think I found myself getting a bit preoccupied with some very specific qualms that I had. Um, but I think one of them is 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 linked to something that really ought to have been clarified or picked up in play testing. It's perhaps fitting in Arneson Month that I discuss a game which is basically an evolution of a tactical miniatures battle game. Anyway, here are my thoughts. I hope you find them useful. Come in, my child, out of the cold and listen how the stories told. From fairy tales to happenstance, the dice rule every random chance. Take off your coat and stay a while, we'll roll in that deep percent time. Before I get started, just a a few thoughts on why I like Savage Worlds so much as a system. In a couple of ways, I suppose it's surprising because it is a game which is built around miniatures combat. I haven't researched the history of it, but I believe it's kind of grown out of tabletop war game rules. Certainly the rules are much crunchier when it comes to the tactical combat and much more hand wavy when it comes to pretty much anything that isn't combat so increasingly i'm moving towards much more rules like theater of the mind games but i've still got a real soft spot for savage worlds um, and if if there's a game that that i'm thinking of running that is going to call for um, a really tactical combat experience and have lots of um, lots of foes involved, perhaps a whole bunch of allies on the player's side, then Savage Worlds is my go-to. So it was ideal for Kung Fu Cops. I've been thinking, I had been thinking for a long time that it would just be great to handle um, a really quick, um, quick running combat with loads of foes much like you see, I've talked about this before, in the raid films, just sort of endless <laughs> mobs of of foes. And it is, I mean, it is a game that can handle a whole tabletop full of minis. It's got some really nifty things that it does, which I think war gamers will be more familiar with these kinds of things. But for, for me, really, I only know them through Savage Worlds. Um, the biggest one being most foes... Um, don't take wounds, so all you've got to track is whether they are shaken um, or off the board. Um, and all of that works around um, a toughness threshold that they have. So if you hit your foe, you then roll damage against the foe's toughness. If you beat the toughness threshold, then you've affected them. And if you don't, then you haven't affected them. Um, which I think is really nice. I mean, I've read various reviews. People get frustrated that it seems like for a long time you're not actually doing anything. You don't whittle enemies down unless they are wildcard enemies. Obviously, boss enemies uh, have wounds. 
that you can track. But I really enjoy that and I think it makes for a really good cinematic style. You know, usually in cinematic combat, you're, you're not whittling your opponents down. You're sort of trading blows with them, um, blocking, dodging, and then, you know, you, you get the big attack in they go down and you're on to the next one so i find it really satisfying and it, you know a real alternative to the ablative hit point system so it's really good for large scale tactical minis combat i also like it because within those combats although i've said they're easy to run and i do you know i i don't like overly complex systems i get myself in a bit of a mess if i've got too many rules but savage worlds for all that it has these innovations and it feels quite simple to run has got a fair amount of crunch there are a fair amount of options it can handle um, a lot of different things different weapon types a lot of different things you might want to do in combat that makes it feel like players have got quite a lot of options so for me it's just this surprising mix of feeling like there's there's a fair amount of crunch and yet still being quick and simple to run. And I can't really describe it better than that. I think it's a good idea to, um, to just have a game of Savage Worlds with a reasonably experienced GM and get a sense for how that goes. It does get knocked. Having said all of that, it gets knocked for being a bit samey in certain contexts. I mean, outside of combat, you know, you roll your skill against the target number of four and that's about it. You can modify for ease and difficulty and that's about it. But I'm generally happy with that. I don't need a great deal of um, of crunch outside of combat. It keeps the narrative flowing. In addition to that, it's a very versatile game. I have played all kinds of different games um, using Savage Worlds which I've done all as homebrew I mean there are loads and loads of setting books I've got lots of them I really enjoy them um, but most of the Savage Worlds games I've run have been homebrew I've done all the homebrew off the back of the um, core books with the exception there is a supers book that is well worth buying because that adds a, a, another layer of of complexity to the various kind of powers that you can build um, again without being bizarrely complex like hero systems say or even even to the level of building powers in GURPS um, it's still Savage Worlds make a point of being fast furious and fun I think the supers is still fast furious and fun but just gives you that extra level of complexity that you need to build um, you know suitably distinct superhero powers but most of the homebrews I've done I've just done with the core rules and I've done fantasy games and I think it can handle handle that um, I've done science fiction I've done modern games once you um, once you've mastered the rules you can chuck in um, automatic weapons there's quite a lot of different things you can do with automatic weapons multi-fire double tapping things like that which once you get the hang of it is all relatively easy to do vehicle combats you can do most editions have had a mix of um, rules for putting the vehicles on the table into the miniatures combat but also much more abstract rules for handling um, naval battles starfighter battles dog fights car chases things like that um, and I've found those enjoyable to run. I've run versions of Star Wars with it. It's got a magic system um, which, which, which uh, uses sort of relatively basically defined powers, a set of relatively basically defined powers, and then you can give them flavour by adding trappings. And the trappings really 
they have effects depending on the narrative it's if if you've given this this bolt spell uh, a lightning trapping then in situations where it seems appropriate that lightning would do more damage to a particular enemy um you know you allow that I mean, it can handle magic. It's also got some alternative rule systems. The the core magic system, which you can also use for psionics, weird science. I've used it obviously for the force. Um, is a is a point based system. You have a certain number of points you can spend from. But there's a there's a there's a non points system, which instead um, piles on penalties when you're trying to run more than one power, which is perfectly good. As an alternative, I don't actually mind the point by for whatever reason in, in Savage Worlds. It doesn't seem to, to bother me that much. In other systems, it might bother me. So, so there's the, the versatility. Um, and I don't know, I, I just think I know Savage Worlds really well. I don't know why it captured me particularly, um, but I know it really well now. And I, and I would always be comfortable to run it. And I will, if I'm thinking of a new game, I will... Um, I will go through Savage Worlds as something that I'm considering uh, in terms of the rule set to run it with. It gets criticisms. Oh, character creation is really quick and simple. You can um, you can pretty much you, your various character creation options. You can you can record your decisions in character creation on a, on a couple of lines on a piece of paper, really, um, and from that you've got. You've 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 got your skills. You've got your base abilities. Um, you'll have a an edge or two, which will define something specific, a little bit like a feat, um, sort of more 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 versatile and wide ranging than feats, maybe um, in Dungeons and Dragons. That will define something extra that your character does. You don't have um, classes. Um, but it's not too complex to come up with, with with quite a wide range of different character builds. That's what I was going to say. It gets criticised for maybe characters being a bit samey. Um, there's not much variation in your core ability scores. Um, then you've got your skills. Um, you don't get a huge number of edges at character creation. So it's only as you as you begin to spend XP uh, uh, as the game goes on, maybe that that, that characters get sufficiently distinct from one another but again that doesn't doesn't bother me because it's all relatively loosely defined the same set of base abilities and 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 roughly similar rule set can can accommodate a whole bunch of different concepts Um, you've just got one skill for fighting one skill for shooting fighting covers all of your melee so sometimes gets criticized for for you know mechanically treating a whole bunch of different things the same pretty much whatever you want to do in combat is a fighting role against your opponent's parry um but on the other hand i i don't mind that that gives a lot of narrative space um but it also um it's also potentially uh, a little bit more complicated than that because you can do your various tests as they are known in Adventure Edition. So if there's a particular stunt you want to pull that should then give you an advantage on a follow-up attack or give your ally an advantage, you can you can do that as a test, which is a fairly versatile mechanic. In Adventure Edition, I actually think they broke that mechanic, which I'm going to go on to in a minute, but I've got a suggestion for how to fix it. A summary of some of the differences that I've noticed. There are bits of the rules I've engaged with much more. I haven't spent nearly so much time with going through the powers 
um, because I haven't thought about running anything with any powers in yet. So I couldn't tell you much about what's changed there. I think trappings are much simpler than they became in the Explorer and Deluxe edition. And they've gone back to being very much more hand wavy. But apart from that, I couldn't tell you very much about powers. But going through, starting with skills, there is a difference here. Sometimes you feel when you're spending, you used to spend 15 points on skills and you felt that you didn't really have enough points um, to do everything your character needed to do. Well, I think there's been some acknowledgement on that of that. So they've identified a set of core skills, five skills, athletics, common knowledge, notice, persuasion and stealth, where players automatically start with a D4. So you don't have to spend to get the lowest rank in those skills. Uh, and then you get 12 additional points. We used to get 15 overall. So there's been a little bit of a bump up. You're getting more points there in real terms. I'm not sure if that was strictly necessary. You could have just, um, you know, GMs could just have given their players a couple more points at character creation if they were bothered about them having more skills. But it's not a not a particularly important change. One of the things at character creation, canny players used to opt for a broader range of lower ranked skills rather than spending to get higher ranked skills. And that was because if you picked up a skill after character creation, uh, a new skill at D4 after character creation used to cost you two points rather than the one point it costs to raise it to D6 and then on to D8 and on to D10. Um, well, they've dropped that rule now. So your first D4 in a skill costs one point and then it's one point to raise it. Um, I found that a little bit fiddly and I used to forget that. So I think there's no harm that they've changed that. The thing which makes me a little bit nervous is how important athletics has become in combat. Athletics now is the skill that is used for grappling and various other um, hand-to-hand -hand related roles. Also, there are a whole bunch of things which you might have been inclined to do in Adventure Edition as agility tricks, more on that in a moment, which where now um, they are based on skills and athletics is going to pick up a load of those. So a whole bunch of things like tripping, for example, which you would have done on agility, one of your core uh, ability traits, you now do on skills and athletics is going to pick up a whole load of those kinds of activities, which means athletics has pretty much become uh, an important combat skill, certainly if you're going to do, use tests to um, emulate all kinds of funky moves you might want to do in combat, wall runs, tripping and so on. Athletics is going to become important for that. That I'm a little bit uncomfortable about. Um, you know, it makes for a lot of hand-to-hand um, -hand character type builds, athletics is going to be um, going to be really important. Um, so it's become a combat skill. It also covers throwing. They've got rid of a separate throwing skill and put that under athletics as well. Other little changes: vehicle stat blocks have been simplified. There's there's less to worry about with vehicles, which I like. One of the real strengths of Savage Worlds. Um, to me, is that you can handle all kinds of different, as I said, dog dog fights, naval battles, starfighter battles, uh, all kinds of scales, really simply, um, and certainly in terms of running the vehicles, they have become simpler. Um, I can't say the same for uh, I mentioned this in my Kung Fu Cops episode. Um, the 
chase rules, which you can also use for certain kinds of vehicle combat, have become even more abstract. Um, and they don't yet, to me, appear to have been simplified. There's a little bit, you know, they, they stretch over a few pages. There's a little bit of chopping about to work out um, what your various options are in chases. I've only run that once. I haven't spent as much time with the rules, perhaps, as I should. And, um, yeah, I'm not finding those massively easy to understand yet they've done away with a charisma stat i always thought that was a bit odd now charisma is just picked up in the various edges which will uh, modify the relevant skills in appropriate circumstances uh, i think that's a good change there's no climbing that's gone into athletics um there one of the things savage worlds does is fold some of your combat options into edges which means that the gm doesn't have to worry about them as options in combat and teach them to players uh, and run them which i quite like double tapping was available as an option uh, to anyone who had the right kind of firearm now double tap has become an edge um, so that's not a rule that the gm generally needs to worry about it's now an option that particular players have um, I'm I'm quite happy with those. Actually, I think the more of those, the better. Um, where you can you can you can let players worry about their specific character options. Bennies, that's all still very recognisable. You can you can spend bennies on more things as standard now. So I think spending a benny on damage was always an optional setting rule. It's now presented in the core rules. Uh, I can't remember if there was an optional setting rule in the past to spend a Benny on drawing another initiative card, but that's now uh, presented as an option in the core. All right, tests is the big one, and this is going to get a bit rulesy. In the previous edition, you had two additional mechanics which you could use mostly in combat, um, which which just gave the players a few more options. So without them... Um, anything you described in combat would just be a fighting role. So if you said, you know, I'm going to run up the wall, flip over, um, catch him from behind and kick him, you know, the GM would then say, good, make a fighting role. And you'd treat it as if you'd punched him or whatever else. Um, but you had the option in previous editions of doing tricks. So you could do agility tricks or smarts tricks. Smarts tricks would be the, hey, hey, look over there. Agility tricks might be pulling up the uh, pulling up the rug to trip them up um, and these were you know they they they're, they're, they were fun because they gave you a few more options the smarts trick gave um, gave characters who didn't who hadn't necessarily maximized combat relevant abilities um, an option to use use other abilities in combat you then had the tests the tests of will so if you had the taunt skill or the intimidate skill again which were based on um, well, uh, smarts and uh, spirit, respectively, rather than agility, which most of your, well, which your, which your combat skills were based on. Um, you had an op you had an opportunity to still do some cool things in combat. So, so with any of those moves, whether you did a trick or uh, a test of will, you had the possibility of imposing a shaking condition with a raise. Um, which is the equivalent of actually causing your opponent some damage because um, if you shake with an attack, if you shake an opponent who's already shaken, then you inflict a wound. And for, for most opponents who aren't wild cards, that would mean they go down. Um, so, a, so a well-placed smarts trick or an agility trick could, could be quite 
damaging in combat. They also had some other things that they imposed, um, basically making your opponents easier to hit. Um, so particularly useful if you were ganging up, but also um, because they were resisted in each case by an opposed role rather than your opponent's fixed panel, uh, parry or a fixed target number, um, they would give you opportunities to affect foes that you weren't having much luck with affecting a different way. But these were two different systems. Um, they each resulted in different effects. One, the tricks, was based on your base ability scores. The other was based on particular skills which had this combat option. And I suppose it's possible that they confused people, that, that um, people weren't quite sure what was going on with them. So Adventure Edition has rationalised this and it's given us one mechanic, which is tests. Um, and the, the big difference is rather than being based on the ability, so you don't have agility tricks or smarts tricks, you have tests which you can use any skill that's narratively appropriate. Um, so as I say, instead of your old agility trick, you're quite often using athletics. You can also use taunt and intimidate, but any other skill. So you could use fight, I suppose, to do um, a kind of dazzling display with your nunchuckers before moving into attack, for example, or whatever else you can justify in the context. And this is meant to be versatile. Uh, and then the conditions you can impose, instead of having a different condition based on whether it's a trick or a test, um, you can choose whether to inflict a distracted condition um, or a vulnerable condition. The distracted condition uh, makes it harder for your opponent to do things and the vulnerable condition makes it easier for your opponent to be affected by the things that you want to do. And again, if you get a raise, um, then you can inflict uh, a shaking condition or something else that seems narratively appropriate. And actually, there's an optional rule that says if you get a raise on a test, here's a table, a 2d6 table for you to roll on. If I spent more time with that, I might have been inclined to do my Kung Fu Cops using that table. I think a lot of the things that I was giving on cards, I could have... I could have said, let's roll on this table if you get a raise. And still, that's not exactly what I was after, actually, because that happens after the attack, and then you'd have to justify what it was. But anyway, I'm losing, I'm losing my track. So these are attractive. They're attractive because they are opposed, instead of by one of your opponent's fixed traits, like parry or a fixed target number, they are opposed by your opponent's abilities. Um, so if you are... Uh, doing a test with an agility-based skill, then they're opposed by your opponent's agility. So if you're having trouble um, beating an opponent's parry, then this is an opportunity for you to try a different tactic and get yourself a bonus for a later attack. More on that in a moment, though, because I'll explain why it's broken. It's also attractive because this gives you the option, if you're a character that isn't built with fighting and shooting, completely maximised, then it still gives you, if you can think of something fun to do in the combat that builds on one of your other skills, you have that option. You can still be useful in combat because if you do well enough, if you get your raise, you can inflict a shaken condition, which is as good as damaging them in many cases. It's been neatened up because whereas in Explorer Edition you had to remember that a trick led to this and a test led to this, um, all of the tests 
give you the option, if successful, of inflicting either distracted or vulnerable. This does give you two additional conditions to track. You've now got to deal not only with shaken foes, but also distracted and vulnerable foes. Um, but that itself is clearer than the various things that you would have been equivalently tracking in the previous edition. But here lies the problem, because actually, um, if you read the rules, there's a little bit of flicking about till you know what all the things mean. So in the test description, the result of the test is that you inflict a distracted or a vulnerable condition. That sounds great, because you might think, I mean, all of these things are great, incidentally, um, if you're ganging up, you know, if there's a if there's a vulnerable foe, if you've made a foe vulnerable and you've got lots of um, uh, lots of allies who are also attacking that foe, then they will all benefit from the vulnerable condition. Um, but here's the problem. If you flick to the description of the distracted and vulnerable conditions, um, the description of the duration is quite important because uh, it's not thinking specifically about tests because there's lots of other ways you can be distracted and vulnerable. And in the description it says if someone becomes distracted, they are distracted until the end of their next turn. Now, that's the simplest way. If the distracted condition is on you, then you know you want to remember to remove it at the end of your next turn. So it would make sense to describe distracted and vulnerable as affecting you until the end of your next turn. Now imagine a player who uh, happens not to have any nearby allies. And that player considers, well, we've got the test system. What I want to do, I can see there's the wall there. I've got a highly athletic character. I want to describe, right, I'm going to do a little wall run. I'm going to flip, flip over, come down, um, they're not looking for any particular um, advantage in terms of movement. They're just describing a test which will hopefully, hopefully uh, enable them to do this athletics role opposed by their opponent's agility. If successful, the opponent can become vulnerable. You know, we, see, we can understand what's happened in the narrative. They expected them to come from one direction. They've come from another direction. It's kind of like an athletic feint. Um, and so it's reasonable that that character should then get the plus two benefiting from the vulnerable condition on their follow-up action. However, they've acted first in the initiative order. <laughs> so, so their foe immediately acts after them. Um, so yeah, let's imagine they were successful. So they did their, they did their test um, opposed by their foe's agility, successful, and they've opposed the uh, vulnerable condition. Their foe then acts immediately after them and um, removes the vulnerable condition at the end of their turn. That's been absolutely useless. Now you might say, well, in that, in that situation, the character doesn't impose vulnerable, they impose distracted. But still, what you've then done is you've spent your entire turn to give your opponent a minus two on their comeback against you. That doesn't seem worth spending. So then you say, well, maybe you multi-attack. If you want to do that wall run, then in order to benefit from it, um, you've got to do the follow-up on the same turn. Well, to multi-attack, you take a minus two to both actions. So you take a minus two to the test and a minus two to the follow-up attack to benefit from a possible plus two on the follow-up follow -up attack. No, it doesn't work. Um, there's something broken there. Now, yes, initiative order is, is, is a bit swingy, in Savage Worlds because it's based on the card. So you might say, well, there's a chance, you know, if I act after my opponent in the round and then I'm lucky enough to draw before them in the next round, then I can benefit from that vulnerable condition I've placed on them. But you're relying on a lot of luck 
with the cards there. So I'd be keen to know what people think about that, uh, whether they read the rules and the possibilities differently. I'm not saying tests are completely unattractive, using them within the rules as written. Still, the um, the tests that use the various sort of less combat-focused skills are going to be useful because there's still that possibility that you shake your opponent, you've effectively um, damaged them in terms of the rules of Savage Worlds. But certainly we found in my Kung Fu Cops game that tests weren't nearly as attractive as I hoped they'd be. Um, there is an easy fix. The easy fix that addresses all of the problems that I've identified. And you would see, you would imagine that this was something that would come up in playtesting and would have been fixed either in the rules or in the description of the rules. Um, but the easy fix is that when you use a test and impose one of these conditions on your foe, the condition stays on your foe until the end of your next turn rather than their next turn. Then if you've imposed the vulnerable condition, then you're going to get a chance to make use of it on your next turn. Um, as I'm saying that, it doesn't entirely fix it, because if you're imposing the distracted condition, <laughs> you want it to last until the end of your foe's next turn. Um, but nevertheless, in terms of vulnerable, I think that's a reasonably easy fix. I'd be really keen uh, if other people are are engaging with the Adventure Edition and are mucking about with tests to see if you've got a different take on that or a different solution. Well, that's all I've got time for and then some. I'm not sure if I've done that much justice. I'm keen to hear your thoughts and uh, if you've got further questions, do call in with them and I'll try and make it clearer. Till next time. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact Dave, please leave a message on Anchor, email dpercentile at gmail.com, or find him on Twitter at d underscore percentile.